today with Dr. K. I'm Dr. K. Wise Whitehead. I want to go through the rest of the news with you. And I want to spend some time talking about a few things. One, I want to talk about what's happening with travel right now. And what will it mean if people continue to quit their job rather than get vaccinated? What do you think of the Ice Cube stance? Ice Cube, uh, the story goes that Ice Cube has walked away from, if I'm not mistaken, $9 million uh, to star in a film, which means he must not sweat the nine mil, right? But he walked away from $9 million, a payday, because he is refusing to get the COVID vaccine. He was scheduled to star in Sony's uh, yet uh, untitled shoot. It's called All Hell No. It's a comedy movie. But he walked away from the project after turning down the film producer's request that he get a COVID-19 vaccination. He was going to be partnered with uh, comedic actor and musician Jack Black, and they were supposed to begin filming in Hawaii this winter. He said no. He is absolutely not going to get the vaccination. Walked away from a $9 million deal. He's like, not going to do it. So that might be out of your stratosphere. It's like, okay, you know, you have $9 mil that you can walk away from. Okay, put that to the side then. How about the fact that people are walking away from their job as a teacher, doctors, nurses, police officers, firefighters. That's a little bit closer to our stratosphere. These are everyday folks that are walking away from the big paydays because they're saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated. We have reached a critical moment in this struggle to get everyone vaccinated. I'm not even sure if we're going to be able to do that anymore because we are moving forward as a nation and people are saying, at this point, it is a moral issue if you really begin to look at it. It's why people are moving the way that they are. So I want to put that on the table, your, your thoughts about what's happening with Ice Cube. I also want to talk about this pushback over critical race theory and the ways in which we are now trying to understand exactly what's happening in Virginia. In Virginia, the challenger has put on the table critical race theory as a moment of discussion and debate. It goes so far that they're not just talking about how critical race theory is teaching white children to hate themselves, which is absolutely not the truth. Uh, they're talking about the dangers of critical race theory and how it separates people, which is absolutely not the truth. But the Republican candidate ran a TV ad demonizing the work of Toni Morrison, uh, her, her book Beloved, which, by the way, won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction back in 1988. Beloved is about slavery, uh, and it paints a very explicit and realistic portrait and picture of America's greatest sin and shame. Toni Morrison does not hold any punches when you talk about Beloved. And if you have seen Beloved or if you have read Beloved, then you know that it is a difficult movie to watch and it is a difficult book to read. It's set right after the American Civil War and tells the story of formerly enslaved people whose home is being haunted by a malevolent spirit. Um, if you want to go back, this is what's going to get you. Beloved is actually inspired by an event that actually happened. Let me take you back a moment, and maybe Justina can find a clip where they're talking about uh, Beloved down in Virginia. Margaret Garner uh, was an enslaved woman in Kentucky, and she escaped and fled to the free state of Ohio in, 19, in 1856. She was subject to capture in accordance with the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. 
Now, when the U.S. Marshals kicked in the door of her cabin, she was there with her husband. They had barricaded themselves in. She was attempting to kill her children. She had already killed her two-year-old daughter to spare them from being returned to slavery. That story, that true story, was actually published in the American Baptist, a book. Uh, there was an 1856 newspaper article, and it was reproduced in the Black Book, a miscellaneous compilation of black history and culture that Toni Morrison edited in 1974. Morrison had come across his account in what it was titled, A Visit to the Slave Mother Who Killed Her Child. Margaret Garner had made the decision, the difficult decision. She said, I would rather take my children out by my own hand than have them go back and live as an enslaved person. I want to let you just sit with that for a little while, because as a mother, it's a little difficult for me to wrestle with. Let me go to the clip, and then let's come back, because we got to break this piece down here. When my son showed me his reading assignment, my heart sunk. It was some of the most explicit material you can imagine. They passed bills requiring schools to notify parents when explicit content was assigned. But then Governor Terry McAuliffe vetoed it twice. He doesn't think parents should have a say. He said that. He shut us out. Now, what Murphy and Glenn Youngkin don't tell you in that ad is that her son was a high school senior, and the book that she wanted banned was Toni Morrison's Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, Beloved, CNN's Eva McCann joins us now live. And Eva, why is Youngkin deploying this ad now and how is the McAuliffe campaign responding? Well, Jake, Youngkin is deploying this ad now because it's clear the campaign believes that they've landed on a message that they think is working. I'm at these Youngkin rallies and it's largely made up of parents and grandparents that are ticked off with their local school boards, angry about mass mandates, angry about the potential for vaccine mandates, uh, don't like how the history of racism and uh, the way um, the impact of racism is taught in Virginia public schools. And by uh, saying parents matter, he's able to, uh, under an umbrella, get at all of those issues. And so that is why they continue to use this strategy. Now, in terms of, of this uh, episode, you know, beloved, uh, an important book in American history, yeah. uh, tells, uh, actually is based on a true story right, uh, tells the, the history, the, the harrowing history of slavery in our country, uh, uh, depicts a mother uh, who kills her daughter so that she can shield her from the brutality of slavery. It's an uncomfortable reality, but it's, it's what happened in this country. And so McAuliffe uh, saying that this is illustrative of a racist dog whistle, but the Yunkin campaign pushing back on that, saying it's not about this book in particular, it's about this overarching message that parents... So talking a little bit about the debate, that's from CNN, about all the tension around Beloved. Let's be clear, the commercial that's running about the mom who's up in arms about her son having to read Beloved, her son was a high school senior when he read Beloved. And folks, hear me out. Her son is 27 years old. He's a lawyer working with the Republican Party. So he is not some damaged seven-year-old, some 12-year-old. Dude is a lawyer. He is holding up, defending, and working hard for the Republican Party. So he's doing fine. He turned out exactly how she wanted him to. Beloved did knock him off his path at all. But it's deeper than Beloved. I want us to take a look at that. Because what we're really talking about, we're getting into the dog whistle that's being blown to undermine a teacher's ability and freedom to actually teach American history. And hear me, I did not say black American history. I did not say white American history. I didn't even say indigenous American history. And today is the first day of Indigenous Peoples Month. I want to recognize that. They have the ability to actually teach American history. And folks, 
The American history story is one that's built on killing people for land. It's built on enslaving bodies for profit. It's built on raping women to build your stock. Let's be very clear. I'm like James Baldwin. It is because I love America that I so fiercely critique her. We got to be honest about the horribleness of America. Can we look America in the face and say, you know what? You're disgusting. You're racist. You're sexist. You're homophobic. You have a hatred of transgendered individuals. We have all of that and still step back and say, but we know. These foundational documents that were put forth by people who didn't understand anything, we should be able to move forward with that. 410-319-8888. We have today on the phone. Today, how are you? Hey, my sister, how are you doing? I'm doing uh, well, thank you. Well, thank you. Having such provocative topics. I, you know, I'm thinking about Toni Morrison and Beloved. I remember the sister, and perhaps it's in the text, but I remember she said that freeing yourself was one thing, but claiming ownership of that freed self is another. And I think that we've been in this constant war, this constant entanglement for actually having ownership over our freed bodies. I'm glad that um, I'm sort of transitioning out to your, your previous point uh, about um, calling it for what it is. This has always been about white supremacy. And I think to that point, you know, if a white supremacist is unable to see the historical crimes, crimes which they and their children have benefited from and benefited greatly, they and their children and children's children will never be able to imagine a future where black folk or black bodies will have equal value. And, and I think that we just can't, we have to hit that um, constantly. And there's folk who talk about white supremacy, I, I feel for my brothers and sisters who are teaching uh, at the post-secondary level or elementary level, I teach at the college level. Uh, uh, in fact, my area is policing and race. Uh, but, um, and we, we deal with this challenge, this idea of teaching the truth as somehow an activist pedagogy. Right? If I talk about American history for what it is, and I'm just going to have to account for the crimes uh, that have been committed in the interests of whiteness and that in accordance with white supremacy. And so we talk about white supremacy quite often, and it, 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 I, I always get nervous because I wonder if folks who are talking about it are going to do due diligence to it because we can get tired of it and people don't want to hear it. Now, I don't want to hear that term anymore. But this is exactly what we're talking about, and I appreciate um, your topics of the day. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, folks. 410 I think that America is never going to be completely free. We're never going to be fully emancipated until we take the blue pill and face the reality of the burden that we're all looking and struggling and working hard to lift up Call the American race-less history. See, in order for us to accept that critical race theory is a danger and it's going to damage the spirits and the souls and the, the hearts of our children, in order for us to say that critical race theory is at the heart of why we have all this racism in America, in order for us to say, you know what, there is no racism, we're all free, we're all equal, we have to say, you know, we have to believe the lie. That We have to believe the lie that America doesn't have a race problem. That, that is a lie. Now, if you disagree with me, then you, you got to come with some evidence. You're going to have to convince me that America does not have a race problem. Because I can pre present to you evidence that we do. I can present evidence in the American education system that shows we have a race problem with the miseducation of black children. I can show you evidence in economic injustice 
and the number of black folks living in impoverished conditions due to redlining that, that started here in Baltimore City back in 1910 as evidence that we live in a racist nation. I can show you evidence in environmental injustice and the ways in which black communities are situated next to factories and we have higher rates of cancer and higher rates of diabetes. I can show you evidence when it comes to food services in this country and the fact that we live in what we call fast food swamps and fresh fruit deserts. I can show you evidence when it comes to even the state of the roads. Go check out areas in East Baltimore and look at the potholes over in East Baltimore Then make your way over to Mount Washington. I can show you evidence in life expectancy within a five-mile radius. You grow up in East Baltimore versus growing up in Mount Washington, and you live 20 years less. I can show you evidence when it comes to how we were disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, which just got here last year and wiped out the black community. So if you're going to tell me that America does not have a race problem, bring the facts and come to the kitchen table because you're going to have to show me and break it down for me just like I broke it down for you. And let me just say that evidence, I just pulled that from my brain. You give me a day, I can come with a book of knowledge for you. That's just knowledge that I know because I've been studying. I can get a lot more knowledge to show you and prove to you that the problem isn't that black folks are talking about race. The problem is that white folks are not. That's where the problem is. 410-319-8888. Let's go to Ray from Towson. Ray, how are you? Um, hi, how are you today? I'm doing I think, well, thanks um, for calling. Again, I think it's important what you said. I, I hope there's no one uh, that that would debate the many variables and the way uh, the way racism expresses itself in so many so many ways institutionally. I I, I don't think I hope we're not going to debate that. My my debate is uh, we as African Americans past twenty to thirty years have not taken ownership of our homes and our mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. and armed them with the books and their history within our homes. Um, our homes should be Aberdeen Proving Ground for our children to go out into this world that you and I agree in is systemically racist. And institutionally, our schools, I'm talking about schools that are run by black teachers, administrators, and I'm talking about our HBCUs. Let me give you an example. My, my daughter went to Spelman, my son, uh, Hampton, those were their undergrad schools. And of the 107 HBCUs, not one of them requires a minimum of 12 to 16 credits in black studies. Not one of them. So when we talk about critical race theory, and I'm preaching to the choir, as you know, mm-hmm. it's taught at a few graduate schools. But if we're going to take 30 to 40 percent of our children who are going to go to HBCUs, and if we don't indoctrinate them, and I think it's too late then, but if we don't indoctrinate that group, which will be the theoretically leading middle class in our community, then why would we expect, if, if, if racism is what you and I believe it is, and you stated it well, then to me, it would be insane for us to think that those same people would give us any ammunition to empower our children. Um, and, I, and I noticed something in closing. I bombarded my Facebook pages with many black books for, men, for black children. We don't respond to that. We know what the response is on social media, celebrity, consumption, narcissism. So to me, the bigger question is, why are we so anemic in our own homes with our own children with giving our children uh, black history? And by the way, uh, teachers can put black history timelines right up in their classroom. There's nothing to stop them from doing that. We're not doing this. So I challenge us. I'm not looking for a community that has shown who they are for the past 400 years to play fair. I'm looking for us to arm our children with weapons of survival. 
Thank All you. Right. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Ray. Let's go to CJ from Parkville. Then I have Shonda from Randallstown, Brother Jay from Maryland, and there's always a line open uh, for you. Uh, hello, CJ. Thanks for my call. Um, I'm going to make a statement and just hang up. Um, I think without a shadow of a doubt, racism exists in this country. It has and it always will. But um, the one caller said there's some people who are tired of talking about white supremacy and white people. That would be me. I think we need to take a season or a couple of years of not talking about white, white people and racism, and we need to go back to the basics. Mm-hmm. We need to just work on us. Black people in Baltimore need repair. And I think the way that we do that, first, we need to go back to traditional values, having a mother and father in the house. Um, someone asked me, do I fear the cops? No, I, I honestly don't fear being killed by a cop. It happens, but I don't fear it. I more fear uh, being killed by another black man. Statistically, that's more likely than I, as an African-American man in Baltimore, being killed by a cop. I'm more likely to be killed by another black man. Every institution in the city has failed, starting with the church, the government, the educational system. And I think we need to pay less attention to white people and pay attention to us and fix us. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, folks, is that the answer? Maybe, maybe the answer, according to Brother CJ, is we need to stop looking out and then look inward. You know, I, I want to go back against that, Justina. Let me, let me just say that I, I think what we need to do, and, and I hear you, CJ, I think we need to be like Sankofa birds. I have said that on this show before. The Sankofa birds, which we know if you look at you know, what was going on in Ghana and what does it mean to be a Sankofa bird, that the idea of the Sankofa bird, which, by the way, Holly Gadima's film, Sankofa, has finally been put into the canon where it belongs thanks to the work of Ava DuVernay, but the Sankofa bird flies forward while looking back. So it keeps its eye on where it came from while moving its body forward. Why can't black folks be like Sankofa birds? Why can't we move forward while keeping an eye on our past? We don't need to stop talking about racism and white supremacy. We don't need to stop talking about it. How about doing both? Like, we are savvy enough to do both. When I come back, I got Shonda, Brother Jay, I got John, I got Linda, and I still have a line open for you. to today with Dr. K. I'm Dr. K. Wise Whitehead. From roughly 1525 up to about 1866, we had what we call the transatlantic slave trade, where our people were stolen from their land, traded off, put onto ships, stacked in the bases, dragged, beaten, oppressed, didn't speak the land, didn't know where they were going, taken from what belonged to them, and then put on a box in a new world and sold off. But here today, even though almost 2 million people did not survive, even though sharks would follow the slave ships knowing bodies were going to be thrown over, even with all that, you're saying stop talking about it. You know what? Until we get reparations, until you run us our coins... I'm thinking, here's here's where I am, because I've had this situation. I have a friend who owes me money. That's not a lot of money because I don't have a lot of money to lend. Let's just say it's about $20. I see this friend on Facebook. Girlfriend is shopping. She's traveling. She's eating out. And I always send her a little message. I don't know how you can have so much fun and you owe me money. I'm not sure how you're traveling and you owe me $20. I'm going to keep talking about my $20 until you give it back. How you buy new shoes and you owe me $20? Now, we laugh about this, but I'm like, until you pay it off, it's still out there. Why did I bring this up? Until they give us our reparations, until you run us our change, we should keep talking about it. Keep our foot in their back until we get the type of economic justice that we should have coming. You know, a lot of the issues that we're dealing with is because we never got reparations. We started in the hole, and we've been trying to dig ourselves out of the hole ever 
since then. We have Shonda on the phone. Then I'll go to Brother Wayne, John, and Dwayne, and Linda. Shonda, how are you? Um, Well, Dr. K, uh, wow, it's a lot, right? So I want to start with I agree with you that um, that ad, her son definitely wound up exactly where she wanted him because the ad for the states that the lawmakers' faces turned red. So we know it wasn't a colored uh, person in a bunch for her, you know, because of uh, the beat face um, redness of embarrassment or and or shame for the uh, reading material. But for the um, caller who says to put racism aside and get back. When I say get back, what are we getting back to? Because everything that's ours now is we, our culture was beaten out of our forefathers. So we were entrenched into their societal norms. So does he mean like getting back to like maybe when we, when um, for our culture, a lot of people ate out of the same bowls with their hands. That was community and you Mm -hmm. didn't sit at tables. You kind of squatted or whatever. But I just don't even understand when someone says like get back to a space. Uh, what the space that your oppressor taught you what 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 space is that and we have carved out a lot for ourselves um on this soil but so much of us was left behind uh traditional wise um everything and no racism is run amok and it is prevalent anytime you have two democrats that are running under the guise of being democrats that are holding up all kinds of policy for the extremely rich. Like now vision is off of the table for elderly people. I've just never seen so many people push (laughs) against their own interests. Uh, In dental, like the, the, the oldest and most vulnerable populations. And again, when it's like, oh, you know, give back. We, ha- we do have to own our own learning, but how is a learning owned when generationally some people don't know where to look? And, and it is, you know, unfortunate we're not everybody has graduated. Even in high school, you're not introduced to it. Some of those things are like you might hear you talking about a Dr. K, and then somebody can say, oh, now I can do some further research. But until we that listen and are enlightened, start to go back out to our community and share in those small, quiet moments and say, oh, yo, did you know that um, blah, say blah happened? And hopefully it sparks interest, enlighten them, and they own their own learning. And then they do some research and they can go back a little bit further. Even if it's just starting with Toulouse, where it's something to say, oh, Oh, they, we did have wealth, and even all after Reconstruction, and then they came in and burned it down. No, you, you. What's wrong with the truth? Right, and stop right. naming it like critical race theory. We can call it what we want, but I'm just going to start where it is. It is the truth. No, was your forefathers that yelled and screamed and spat on people that wanted to come to school, and not so much just to sit beside you, but just to have a book that was not outdated. That wasn't. Well, Shonda, I got to stop you there. I appreciate you, Shonda. I want to add in a comment from Facebook Live. Jessica Hussein said, "Look, at this point, the conversation is going in circles. What implementations have been made to fix these issues in the black?" And brown communities. She said, you know, I will keep saying this over and over again. We need to change the laws surrounding economic policies affecting black and brown people. We need to open charter schools and hire the people who t- to teach our children who have invested in the black community. We need to own more industries such as the healthcare, finance, schools, and banks. That is the answer. People need to wake up and understand that we need control, not permission. Let's go to Brother Jay. Brother Jay, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I like to say we don't have a race problem. We have a dependency problem. Mm -hmm. We depend on the white man to give us everything of value. But we have simultaneously told ourselves that us as black people don't have anything of value to offer. So we don't need to learn our history from them because they ain't going to never teach it to us. And they are already made that vow. We just haven't made the vow to teach it to ourselves. We don't need them. We need us. All right. Thank you so much, Brother Jay. Let's go to John from Ellicott City and I'll hit Dwayne from Columbia. 
thank you for the opportunity, Dr. K. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, I have uh, two uh, grandchildren now who are t- attending uh, HBCU. I had a you know pretty, uh, I had a talk with them just to get their you know I, I know you can't base it based on you know two people, but the, they basically made the point to me that they are not as much interested in, in learning about dead people. They're more interested in learning about living people, and more interested in coursework that prepares them for their pre-med you know, courses. And if you look at colleges right across the country, there's that tension between liberal arts education plus plus occupation specific. In most colleges, you know, they're sort of cutting back on the liberal arts offerings and they're focusing more. If these young people, they're more interested in what can you do to prepare me to compete and make a living and do well in my chosen occupational choice. That's what I hear from uh I'm not interested. I'm not, I heard about all this slavery stuff. I'm now focusing on preparing myself to compete. All right. I appreciate so. you. Thank you so much. Let's go to Dwayne next, and we'll go to Moon from Maryland. We have Gloria, and we have Linda as well. Dwayne, how are you? I'm doing uh, okay. Uh, the previous previous caller who spoke about the how we need to turn our back on uh what slavery and such and such, and we right. need to look forward. That type of ideology is toxic. And this is the reason why I'm saying that ideology is toxic. We have ancestors who died physically. I refuse to let the souls of my ancestors die. They are alive, more alive than they was in the physical world. We need to talk about all of the Africans and the African-Americans who never, ever were given a name, who are faceless, from the young girl in the sharecroppers, from the, from the little black boy who never became of anything. Those faces, those faces, those names that we can't even talk about, that's why we have to keep talking about that. I excel to greatness to give them their due. And to, and to have an individual who looks like me to tell me we need to move forward is asinine. It's like saying 3 plus 3 equals 18. There's no logic in that. And I'm going to end on this note, ma'am. What, what we have to do as black folks, we always are ingrained to excel. But the true beauty of ending racism is when you just say, I just want to be mediocre. I don't want to be a doctor. Right. I don't want to be right. a lawyer. I don't want to be making 200 k. I don't want to be making 100 k. I just want to be regular or just average or maybe a couple steps below average. Right. The reason why racism is, has to be constantly destroyed is because you can't even be average. The whole point of racism is to make you to be a beast of burden. We can't even be regular. We ha- all have to excel. So just having that mindset, we have to destroy that mindset. Thank you. I'm Thank dying you so to hear much. your, your, your yeah. rebuttal. No, I, I appreciate you. And what I want to do, Dwayne, is I want to give people one more, couple more chances to chime in, and I will definitely go back. Uh, Tanika Hooker on Facebook Live said, look, we would never tell the Jews to forget the Holocaust. Tanika, Tanika we might tell them they're not going to. Maybe part of what we need to do is we really need to start thinking about something that Billy Murphy said. Lawyer Billy Murphy said that we should take a look at how within the Jewish communities, when they have the bar mitzvah and their bat mitzvah, they don't leave the teaching of their history to their children, to anyone else. We leave the teaching of our history to the American educational system. Why else do they think, you know what, Dr. King only had a dream and Rosa Parks just never got up and Claudette Colvin doesn't exist and slavery slaves were just really workers who weren't happy, right? We've left the teaching of our history to people outside our community. All, all, and I'm talking about anybody who's not in line with lifting up and telling the real history of this nation, ugly though it might be. We have Moon on the phone from Maryland. I'll go to Al, and I have Gord and Linda, and they're still aligned for you at 410-319-8888. Moon, how are you? Pretty good. How are you doing, Dr. K? I'm doing well, thank you. Good hearing from you. You keep Thanks on keeping on on that trail. 
I want to ask you one question. You were talking about reparations, and every black person that I know is for reparations, but it seems like it's never going to come. But let me ask you this one question. Can the president of the United States sign an executive order extending reparations to African-Americans? Answer that for me, and I'll, I'll hang up and listen. Keep on, keeping on. You know what? That moon, you're, you're offering something on the table because, <laughs> I mean, no, I'm saying, but, but think about it. Didn't the president of the United States sign executive orders and put forth so that we could receive additional money coming with the stimulus? Isn't that something that, that uh, true, came out true, under Trump? True, stimulus true, came true. out. Didn't Joe Biden sign that uh, the executive order sending home child care money from September into December? People getting all these checks for their babies. I'm just saying, maybe what we need to say is, you know what, Joe Biden, take that trillion dollar budget you have and turn that money to reparations. Yeah, that's a good Come idea. Come on, Moon. Come on, Moon. You get ready to go in a whole different direction here, buddy. <laughs> I like that. Four one out. We one nine. Thank you so much, sir. We have uh, Bruce on the phone from Baltimore. Bruce, how are you? Then we'll have Al and Lauren, Glord and Linda. Bruce, how are you? Good. I'm doing great, Doctor K. I just wanted to respond to the caller, CJ, uh, about you know putting a focus on raising children in a good home with yeah. both parents. And I appreciate what he said because uh, my son grew up in a two-parent home. Uh, professional parents. Uh, we even had Bible studies in the home. The problem is no one told the police that. So mm. when you're driving down York Road and you see this kid pulled over, sitting on the curb while his car is being searched, that was my son that grew up in a good home. So I think when you conflate things in such a way that you miss you you mix the uh, issues, then you don't really address things that appropriately. So, you know, I, I, I feel bad when I hear folks say things like that because they're 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 they have good intentions, right? But the police don't care what when they pull your son over how he what kind of home he grew up in. So, you know, I think they need to look at things from more than one side. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Bruce. We have Lauren on the phone. Lauren, how are you? Thank you again for all this great conversation. I just wanted to say something. When Billy Murphy said, I first learned, and we taught the children in the church, in the mosque, and every Saturday or Sunday that we could get them in there, uh, all types of things. And definitely the first time I ever, we learned about Kwanzaa was in the church. We didn't do that in school. And Afro-American history, we took it upon ourselves that this is what our children were going to learn. And if we needed to give them extra curricula, um, uh, you know, grammar or something, that came from our communities and our community meetings. We started uh, doing the Kwanzaa setting. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so we're doing great. Everybody, I mean, you know, we do have a long way to go, but everybody's forgetting what um, our churches and different spiritual places stand for. And we do more than just, we try to do practical uh, everyday teachings with our children. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Don't I like let everybody that. Forget. And then, of course, we want to lift up the work from ASALA, the Association for Study of African American Life and History. Yeah. Uh, we still have our organizations that right. maybe we need to talk about Saturday school for Saturday school. our children yeah. where they're actually learning African-American history. And yeah. I, I'm not talking about trying to separate. I'm just saying mm-hmm. I'm looking at what's happening in the Jewish community. Right. They're saying, you right. know what, we want our children to learn the truth about this mm-hmm. because as long as you remember it won't happen again, then mm-hmm. we need to make sure they do As well as teaching them language. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're learning Hebrew. I'm just thinking that there needs to be something here. And I know that black folks have done it. I think about Ray Winbush and his work with the yeah. Warrior Method and yeah. uh, Dr. Lamar Darnell Schiff. Folks have done it. Maybe we need to talk about it on a grand scale. At this point. Yeah, I Agree. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Let's go to Al. Al, how are you? Well, Dr. K, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for holding. Thank you for having me. Um, one thing that I, I would like to kind of just my thought on this whole issue is that we as a people, as in being black people, we aren't unified the way in which I think that we should be. I think that we should be that we should stick more together. And kind of what I point to when I say this is that we have a certain, you know, certain number of us that will vote Republican. And the first thing I will ask one of them is like, okay, so basically 
you support your party's position in moving to take away the voting rights of your people. And most of them don't have anything to say when you ask them that question or they come up with an excuse. Also, too, I mean, not to be offensive to anybody, but I asked this question to a, um, a friend of mine who happens to be Muslim. Um, he's, a, he's a follower of Farrakhan, and I said, yo, so do you guys vote? And he gave me, gave me an answer that kind of basically alluded to that, you know, they don't believe in that system of government, but it's like, okay, but, you know, your vote, I mean, maybe if you, maybe if you guys came in and voted, maybe we could make a difference. Right. And the last thing I want to kind of that's, mention oh, is Oh, like that's actually a good point. Let me just say amen yeah. to that. Maybe we get more of our people into the battle and we start talking about our pure numbers. That's yeah. actually a good yeah. point. It's a good point, Al. Go ahead, Al. Reparations. You know, and I, I support that, but sometimes you have to create your own reparations. Go out, start a business. Like, hey, I drive Lyft all day. It's I, I work for myself, basically. It's a business. I get, you know, I get to do the taxes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we got to start somewhere and grow and, you know, and do our thing. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Let me ask you Thank this, you. Al, before yes, you go. Ma'am. Let me ask you this, because I like the idea about this notion of your, your reparations. What about the fact that all the research shows that the best way to break out of poverty is to never have been born there? That there's a cycle well, of poverty in this country where people are so impoverished in inner city, predominantly black communities, that driving a lift means they have a car. And many uh-huh. community members do not. Like it takes a lot to even try to make the bills meet. It doesn't mean they're not working. It means that they're part of the working poor. Well, see, I guess, I guess my, my, my response to that would be it had... Part of that is your attitude and your push. I had a young gentleman that I picked up the other day, and um, he was young, so you know, we engaged in a conversation. And I asked him, I said, so what is it that you do? He's like, well, I'm a maintenance supervisor. And I was like, okay, okay. I said, are you in school? He said, yeah. You know, I said, he said, school really wasn't for me. He said, but if I know if I go out here and I work hard and I do what I'm supposed to do, I can build, like, build my resume. See, I'll tell you personally, I was the person that was college educated. I had one flare-up with the legal system when I was 21. Um, and that flare-up from that point, it was kind of like, you know what, this isn't what I want to do. Right. I kind of committed myself, and I knew that getting a good job was not going to come easy. What I did, I took a job that I did not want to do, I didn't like doing, and I kind of started to build my resume to, you know, right. build my character so that after a course of a few years, I mean, I was working for Marriott at the corporate headquarters out in Bethesda. I've worked for AOL Time Warner. I've worked for DLA, DLA Piper. And even just recently, I was working two full-time jobs plus driving Lyft because it's like, you know what, I got to get it because right, if I don't right. do it, right. there's nobody that's going to do it for me. I like that. Thank you so much for putting that on the table. I appreciate you. Let's go to George from Baltimore. George, how are you? Hello, Dr. K. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Hey, just wanted to talk about, if you guys haven't mentioned already, um, the reparations that are supposed to be given to uh, illegals that were separated um, from their children. Undocumented residents and the way of dealing with compensation in that area? Yeah, I was just wondering if, uh, you know, we thought if we uh, talked about that, you guys uh, talked about that with uh, President Biden uh, wanting to give um, them reparations. And blacks have been asking for reparations for, I don't know, as long as I can remember, at least 50-something years. So I just wanted to hear your opinion on that. Thank you very much. What what I just want to put this out, that when we talk about reparations, um, that I think the discussion around an either or, that either this community gets it or that community gets it. No, there have been communities that have received reparations in this country, and I am saying that the first community that needs reparations is the African-American community. I know that here in Maryland, for example, uh, they voted back in February 
to grant stimulus aid to undocumented immigrants. That is something that is happening. New York State is spending about $2 billion on undocumented workers. Uh, it's about $2.1 billion that's coming up. To do that, New York is to give up to $15,600 to undocumented migrants. I mean, all this is recent news from this year. So, yes, you're correct. That is happening. I'm only saying that in these conversations, we need to put our community on the table, not for discussion, not for debate, but for us to be run our change. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I want to stop talking about, let's talk while I'm on the way to the bank cashing my check. I can have a lot of conversations while I'm standing in line putting my check into the bank, and then we could talk all you want. We have Glord on the phone. Glord, how are you? I'm fine, Dr. K. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure uh, having the, you. The B, the B goes on and never stops. Uh, and based on what you were saying and you've been saying for a while, we know if, if a person knows their history, knowing that we've been through a lot, because I do libations, pull libations for our elderly folks all the time. When somebody get killed, my mind goes back to their elderly, what we went through, what we went through. And then on top of that, knowing that it was a law not to teach a black kid how to read or write. So in these times, these days, we are affected by that. So everything that that's happening, that is happening, it's because they don't know no better. It's because this Jim Crow has affected us in, in many ways. And, and my parents have died, and I always use this for an example. My parents have died. My father, and I always wanted a girl. He ended up having seven boys. Mm-hmm. And when my sister was born, and I always said, that's a good thing, because, you know, fathers look for uh, right. one. He always wanted a, a, a girl or a boy, right? Right. It depends on what they got. Okay. But. After um, 40 years, I mean, after I found out that he had molested a couple of people in my what? in my family, and man, that was heartbreaking, and um, and everything. So, for 40 years, I would never go to his grave or forgive him right. because what he had done. But now I realize, you know, again, I know my history and I know how that affected a lot of us. And now I'm out here now. I'm t- I love everybody that I see. And the biggest thing is, and I use him for an example, uh, 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 R. Kelly. R. Kelly, and I know people don't even listen to his music. I said, wait a minute, how can you judge him? You need to, you need to read Luke uh, 37 because that's looking in the mirror at yourself because ain't none of us perfect. But until people realize you know, that could have been them or their okay. uh, ancestors did a whole lot to us. Okay. So we, we've we been confused for a long, long time. But we but, just need okay. to stay focused and do what we have to do and love everybody. Okay. And- well, I, I understand that, Gloria, and, and I appreciate that. I definitely appreciate where you're coming from. Um, I, I am not necessarily in that particular camp with Gloria. Uh, when, when it comes to men molesting children when it comes to women molesting children when it comes to persons of all gender molesting children i am not in the same camp with glory let's just love everybody and keep moving on because that could easily be you no it could not it actually could not i think that when it comes to R. Kelly, I know that's not the focus of our conversation, but Gloria put him on the table. No, no. I think we need to hold people accountable for their actions, particularly against children. we got to hold them accountable. Hey, I understand about loving everybody. I get that. But you know, live and let live, love and forgive. Uh, we need more than that. Serve your time, my man. R. Kelly, stay in jail. Serve your time. And, in fact, you need to move over because there's somebody else who probably needs to join you there, someone who was in jail and got let off. I'm just saying put them all in jail. Be accountable. We have Linda on the phone. Linda from Baltimore, how are you? Hi there. Hello. Dr. K, and uh, God bless to everybody. And I just want to say real quick, you know, Dr. K, God, everywhere we look, God is destroying and dealing with every systematic system, you know, every wicked system in this land. And he is exposing everything and everybody that need to be exposed. But why we don't have to worry about the white man. We are hurting people. Black people are hurting each other. 
Okay. Oh, I appreciate yeah. that. Thank, thank you so much. We have Clarence on the line. Clarence, how are you? Hey, I'm fine. Thanks for taking the call, Dr. K. Absolutely. Hey, hey Dr. K, I want to give you some food for thought. Mr. Claiborne down in South Carolina. Um, so my question would be, what percentage of the black population do the historic black the black farmers make that have been historically injustice, you know, over years and years have been, you know, not gotten their fair shake. So that very insignificant, and I, I'm going to say insignificant percentage of the black population got $5 billion, I believe it was. Um, so my question is this, when you have black people in positions of power like Claiborne, who tout for giving that very, very minuscule percentage of the black population because they've been historically wronged, right? $5 billion at the expense of the rest of the black children who you know, are in need of a decent education and could use that money and probably gone on to gotten better lives out of that than that little teeny percentage, if I'm going to put emphasis on that, then what kind of thinking is that? Are we going to continue saying, oh, because we've been wrong in the past, let's correct those historical wrongs that have been done to us in the past at the expense of our future? Okay. Make a distinction. Make clearly delineate what we're after. Hey, Dr. K, I just get kind of... I know, no, I understand, I understand. Representative Jim Clyburn from South Carolina, my home state, let me just say that black U.S. farmers are awaiting billions in promised debt relief. But listen to me before we go. I've got to say this. Two generations out of slavery, by 1910, black farmers had amassed more than 16 million acres of land and made up 14% of farmers. They had their land stolen from them. Now they have fewer than 4.7 million acres and only about one in every 100 farmers are black. Yes, they deserve reparations. Yes, they have their land stolen from them. Yes, they got uh, their knees cut off when it comes to generational wealth. Yes, it severely impacted the black community. Yes, they are due their money. And yes, they can get paid and so can we. Reparations should go across the board. It's not an either or, folks. Either they play the black farmers or they run me my change. No, no. Hey, they wronged the black farmers after slavery, and they wronged my family during slavery. In fact, black farmers should probably get paid twice. You're not even going to believe this. I'm going to say it. They probably should get paid twice. Get it from this history dealing with American enslavement, and then get it from the fact you're talking about a modern-day robbery of the land given to you by your family that cut off a loop of generational wealth. Come on, folks. We're going to meet tomorrow at 2 p.m. We're going to have another conversation that matters. It's been an honor and privilege to serve you in this way. It's today with Dr. K. Stay tuned for two-way talk before Kara Williams and Anthony McCarthy. Williams and Anthony McCarthy. Williams and Anthony McCarthy.